Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for your patience. We're a couple minutes behind because I had a challenging ping pong match outside and lost track of time. But needless to say, victorious again, undefeated against the 12-year-old son of mine. So sorry, Miles. We had to get to work here or activity we get paid for. I'm joined by the incredible Eagle himself with the Manhattan background, Craig Siegel. Welcome to Office Hours. How you doing, buddy? I'm excited to rock and roll. Thank you for having me. Oh, I love when you're here, and I wish uh, Blaine Bartlett would go on more trips so you could have more time with me. Anyway, <laughs> we have our good friend Nikhil Gupta here, co-founder and CEO of Armor Code, armorcode.com. Um, and it's so interesting because one of the biggest areas of business today in all aspects is security. And uh, it's not going anywhere. In fact, it's becoming more and more of a critical business issue, but also a critical life issue. And you've created a revolutionary way uh, in, to think about uh, the application of security. And so, uh, number one, Nikhil, how long have you been working in the security space to understand how to revolutionize uh, with Armor Code? So, you know, I'm an unconventional person when it comes to, you know, uh, cracking a new problems here. So I'm fairly new compared to fellow people who have been in the industry for 30, 40 years. I've been here uh, six to seven years, but I always like to take an external outside in perspective prior to finding Armor Code. I was a founder and CEO of a company called Avid Secure and Cloud Security Posture Management, which was acquired by Sophos. Yeah, and it, with the amount, it's so interesting with technology. Sorry, Craig, real quick. You know, seven years might as well be a lifetime. You know, you talk about dog years in technology, seven years. Uh, there's more changes within, especially security in the last seven years than there has been in the last 7,000. So uh, we'll give you that at, at least. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, Nikhil, first of all, I'm a fan. I love your work. And, and you may only have been doing this for seven years, but we know that you have a proven track record of building products and business from the ground up. So I imagine that you took a lot of attributes from that and applied it to this. I'm curious, I'm sure the audience as well, what is the biggest un, unmet need right now in, in regards to security that you're kind of providing people help with? Uh, absolutely. That's a great question. And first of all, thanks, Dave and Craig, for having me here. Uh, you know, love the entrepreneurship, love the security space. And, you know, call me crazy. I started this company in the middle of the COVID right in July of 2020. We just had our second anniversary. So you can imagine that, you know, this is my kind of uh, third startup. So, of course, I'm super excited about uh, a problem which I guess is bigger than any individual, which is a software security. And what's been happening here is, uh, especially after post-pandemic, people have realized that, uh, you know, the digital transformation is the way to go, right? We are talking about on this particular tool, which is I had never heard of, but guess what? Everything is virtual. And now we are having uh, new tools, Zooms and other things which are coming in, if you will, right? So all of the platform needs to be secure and that's software security with digital transformation. So, you know, uh, Armor Code is all about securing software and, uh, uh, basically making uh, things better for everybody. And you talked about entrepreneurship and your love is we have a passion for entrepreneurship as well. But one of the unique attributes uh, of you as an entrepreneur is I always say there's a difference between innovators and entrepreneurs. And I was jokingly always saying, and never the two shall meet with one of my favorite entrepreneurs being Ray Kroc, who took somebody else's innovation and turned it into one of the biggest uh, businesses, real estate business, chicken businesses, hamburger businesses in the world uh, still today, uh, but obviously was not an innovator. He was literally an entrepreneur because 
he had a proven record in GTM, which is a very significant go-to-market strategy uh, based off of real estate and systems. And what I find really intriguing about your proven track record and your success is that you somehow uh, are a master of both. Uh, you can sit there and create code, uh, revolutionary, 10 times value and exponential security in the 10x AppSec force multiplier that you created. But somehow in all your businesses, you already know a great fit in utilizing the go-to-market. Uh, and it's changed through all the companies that you had. What are some of the things you look at? Because you're playing chess when it comes to going to market. What are some of the things you look at when you determine, okay, this is how I'm going to take this to market and become a multi-million dollar company uh, from the ground up? Yeah, so that's a good and a loaded question here, right? And, and so essentially taking a step back, right? I started as an innovator back in Bell Labs 20 plus years ago. You know, very few people like who you and I who are like old enough will remember Bell Labs, right? Nowadays, uh, people don't even remember. This is where 125 years history. So I was fortunate to be, you know, uh, working closely as an innovator with father of Unix uh, and some of those greatest over there. But as an entrepreneur, I always followed my passion and I moved to Bay in year 2000, right, right around the dot-com bust. And that is where I got my first experience the hard way, where uh, some of these leaders, they retired from Bell Labs and started this company. And uh, even it was a downturn, we raised, you know, $190 million over six years period. We made the most innovative product that you can think of. We were doing uh, one GBBS uh, internet connection to the home in 2002, right? Uh, that's the innovation I did. But guess what? Fast forward 20 years later, I'm living in Saratoga, California, and I still don't have it at my home. <laughs> so <laughs> that way you can see that there is a difference between innovation and entrepreneurship and business. And, and, and so the lesson learned over the year of time was like, okay, the best technology, best innovation may not be the best selling uh, product, if you will. And entrepreneurship, and I talk and I mentor a lot of people, is all about building businesses. And, and there are two parts. Which is, one is fundamental uh, business and innovation and very, very few companies that you look at are the ones who are starting from scratch, including Google. Google was not the first search engine. It was the third search engine or 30th search engine which started. So what happens yeah. is most of the times when companies start, right, like Netscape was again one of the first uh, 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 browser, but guess what? Google Chrome is the most popular browser today. So there is an aspect on the innovation and building a business and business, as you mentioned, David, go to market is the most important aspect. And, and what we have to figure out is like, OK, you have to look at when the market is there and, you know, you don't want to be an entrepreneur who is trying to create a market. Right. Because that takes a long time. Right. Uh, and, and, and so here from the GTM perspective, uh, what my lesson learned was like always find the third generation solution. Like Google search engine was the third generation. We had earlier ones, second time uh, for the same thing was my last startup, which was one of the most successful startup in the Silicon Valley. But people had not heard of because, you know, the thing was that uh, there are companies who started. There is hundreds of millions of dollars. And most of the money end up being in creating the market. This was my startup in 2000, where we did the same thing. We spent uh, $190 million to build a $1,500 box, but generation three was for $25. And that's when the masses kind of accept that. So same thing here is fast forward uh, 20 years later, even at Armor Code, you know, when I was looking at a problem, right, I found out that the software security is a big problem. We need to find out what it is. 
right? And then I looked at there was generation one product which were built like 10 years ago, right? Uh, and they were not based in the cloud and they were just helping create the market or educating the market. Then there was generation two products, right? Which are like, okay, people are aware about it. And then generation three is when the market is there. And that's when a real entrepreneur comes in, like whether it's Elon Musk who started the electric companies, they have been uh, electric cars for 30 years in Japan and all. But, you know, he caught it at the right time. That's where the Sergi and Larry Page came in at the Google search. And, you know, so that that's my experience here on the GTM. And I wish I would have known you because my entire career uh, up until now has been in that first generation as, as an innovator and not as an entrepreneur. So I had the uh, luxury of having a Boolean language search engine in 1993 with Westlaw. And we had the first natural language search back then in 95. And then I had the world's first smartphone, which they didn't even call a smartphone. It was a Windows C device called the PCE phone. Uh, and people told me in 1999, it was uh, nobody would ever utilize a handheld that would be that expensive uh, or <laughs> would it work, you know? And uh, my worst one though, uh, isn't technology. The uh, greatest lesson I've learned in business is to be the third owner of a golf course, never be the first owner. And uh, that one cost me over $100 million. But uh, I wish I, I would have known you then. Uh, Craigie, the Eagle, we have time for one more question before we bring Tim on. Yeah, this is an awesome conversation and great analogy, Dave, uh, with Ray Kroc, the difference between entrepreneur um, and an innovator straight up. Uh, one thing that a lot of people probably wouldn't know about McNeil, which I think is really cool, is uh, you're involved with the Purple Book community, which is essentially a community of well-known security leaders from big companies like Facebook, Google, and Dropbox, and GoDaddy, and so forth. What is it like surrounding yourself um, with the very top of the industry leaders, and, and how valuable is that to bounce ideas off each other? Uh, so, you know, like, as you asked me earlier, David, like, there's a reason why, you know, I've been in security only for seven years, but, you know, have a uh, great success is to always surround yourself with the smart people or people smarter than you. Um, so again, you know, when I was looking at this problem, I was looking at outside in, and I found out that this problem is much bigger than an individual. And that is where we, you know, went and created a community. And community is always bigger than, than, uh, than an individual, if you will. And that was a great learning lessons because, you know, and David, as a, you know, as a first time innovator, you learn the hard way. You're learning, you're finding out it's a misfire and stuff like that. But when you surround yourself with leaders like that, then you realize that, okay, what's the real problem? And you're trying to solve the real problem. So, and again, the Purple Book has a uh, vision to democratize software security, right? And that's much more bigger. And it's kind of a separate from, you know, armor code, if you will. It's a community of security people by the security people. And the idea over here is to kind of educate uh, security awareness across software security awareness across the globe. And, uh, you know, that's kind of more of a calling, if you will, right? And, and when you're doing the larger good, you know, you get the benefit of, you know, getting the pearls of wisdom from these great guys. And, you know, <laughs> that's how you kind of learn. I love it. Great answer. And learning you have and success is yours. And we look forward to uh, this and many more uh, innovations that you bring to market at the right time with the right people in the right place. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, check out armorcode.com. Nikhil Gupta, the CEO and co-founder, thank you so much for joining us. we got to have you on more shows and have more in-depth conversations. The depth and scope of your knowledge is extraordinary, and we appreciate everything you're doing to keep our software secure. Uh, come join us again, my friend. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks, Craig. And thank talk you to you guys later. Thanks for talk having to you me. later. Have Bye. a great night. Take care. Great night.
Awesome. Another great guest. Well, I got a quick story as Tim McConaughey comes on here because uh, I recently spoke at my law school uh, in Tulane University and uh, I was with a guy uh, who I do shows with. We've had him on uh, as well. And Mike Tannenbaum, he's the GM of the Jets, executive with the Dolphins. He's on ESPN, one of the top football analysts in the world. And we were talking about how they had us doing like a fireside chat and how the heck weren't one of us? It was a Tulane Law Symposium. How could it be that one of us wasn't the keynote, if not both of us? How were we just kind of the sideshow, you know, you know, after both of us being on such big stages? And as we walk up, I look and it says, keynote, Matthew McConaughey. And I was like, whoa, all right. I'll take a backseat to Matthew McConaughey. And on my notes today, uh, they were teaching me how to pronounce Tim McConaughey like actor Matthew McConaughey. And for a second there, I thought Matt and crew had outdone themselves. And I'm thinking, how the heck is Matthew McConaughey second guest next to Nikhil Gupta? Uh, but close enough, we got Tim McConaughey here, founder and CEO of Israel Inc. Publishing. And I will tell you, as important the armor code is to security, Izzard Inc. Uh, is to publishing and he's opening up. Uh, the amplification and distribution for so many people to publish their manuscripts, their ideas uh, in a very efficient, effective, and statistically successful way. Uh, Matt, uh, sorry, not Matt, uh, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, Welcome to Office Hours. David Craig, thank you so much. I'll take Matthew. That's, you know, you you can't get it. I get it, man. I've been up. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been upstage by him uh, twice. Once when I won the variety magazine sports humanitarian he followed me up uh as well so more importantly um both uh craig and i are authors speakers entrepreneurs i've been around a long time and i never thought i'd find a more frustrating business than sports agentry until i saw publishing and uh you are godsend with Izzard inc publishing uh because authors are probably some of the most taken advantage of people, not just by book publishers and agents, but printers and the whole process. Uh, They deal with so much emotion and ego, and they know how to take advantage of it after 200, 300 years of being in the business. Guys like you come around, you're kind of like the Web3 version of, hey, you can do this without wasting your money, and you don't have to wait six months to get your book. Yeah, you know, thank you for that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good publishers out there, but there's a lot of people that are there just taking advantage. And it's, you know, as an author, you kind of have to take that perspective. If they tell me that my work sucks, they've got to be okay. You know, so many people say, hey, this is perfect. This is great. Just go with it. But, you know, it never it never is that way. I mean, we're dealing with an author right now, 60 plus years old, PhD in writing and still needs that editor, still needs that help. And so that's, you know, where, where egos kind of got to get out of the way and you got to look at this a little objectively and say, let's hurt myself now with the editor who's on my team versus when it gets out there and reviews are happening. Great yeah. point. Yeah, this is an awesome conversation. Tim, I love your work. And, and it's funny because so many people that I coach and so forth, and I'm sure Dave can agree, is they want to publish a book or become an author, whatever the case would be. But ultimately, they always get... They start to procrastinate because they're not sure what to do. Should they 
work with a major publishing house or should they self-publish? But one thing that you're doing that I think is really cool and innovative is you're essentially making it where self-publishing is no longer publishing by yourself. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. And what we want to do, you know, is first we want to understand what's going on. I think what authors don't do um, very well is focus on what their goal is. And I, I don't think the goal should be just publishing a book. I think there should be more concrete stuff like, you know, I want to get out there. I want to speak. I want to use this to help build my platform. I want to do things that way. But when an author comes to us and says, I just want to publish a book, that's that's kind of a sign that they might not be a good fit for us. So we want to kind of break that down and say, you know, here's where your pros and cons are. We have a great manuscript assessment plan where we sit down with two independent editors and they pick things apart. We use our artificial intelligence to kind of make sure that those editors, what they say back is validated. And then we can take that first time author all the way to a publisher's weekly starred review, or we've had a, you know, we've had a good handful of clients that have gotten our manuscript assessment. And they said, yeah, I kind of want to go the traditional route. You know, and we kind of go over the pros and cons, but every book has its own its own path. We kind of got to figure it out. And you know, coming through, I've written eight books, and you know, I've done it every single different way. Uh, but you have and cover uh, what I consider every facet of publishing. So, finance, uh, which a lot of people don't take into consideration because they actually think, especially first time publishers, that they're going to make millions. Or first time authors are going to make millions on their book distribution, which most people don't understand, marketing, uh, especially, you know, managing the expectations of how little marketing a traditional publisher will do for you. Uh, the website development is obvious. Art, pu public relations is another one uh, where a lot of thievery takes place with authors that you'll get a book public uh, relations person that carries like three relationships, their go-to PR relationships and they'll go ahead and sign you on for five or $10,000 a month. And they'll start off like gangbusters and then spend the rest of the months back end selling you, overselling you, lying and manipulating and cheating you. Uh, the cover and interior design, audiobook production may be more important than even uh, the manuscript assessment. The editing and copywriting is traditional. Out of those eight facets, um, you know, today's. Uh, client of yours, how many on average do people use and which ones are most prominent of the of the services that you offer? Uh, I, I think of the services we offer, I think getting the content right is key. You know, uh, uh, content's always going to be king. But then from there, I, I think people underestimate when to start the marketing process. <laughs> the marketing process starts with your editor they start kind of in tandem because if you don't know where your competition is, if you don't know where you're set up to go, how are you going to position your book? That that, way? Yeah. Let me interrupt you too, Tim, because I think uh, one of the lessons that I teach and, you know, I've been marketing for over 35 years and some of the biggest companies in the world, biggest clients in the world. Um, <laughs> I think we need to also tell people, I believe marketing starts uh, and this is something I mentor Craig in this. It starts with your community before you write that book. Right. Because no matter how great your book is, if you don't have a community to market to and I've read some extraordinary uh, manuscripts, I've read extraordinary books that nobody's ever heard of and nobody's ever read because they didn't spend the time building a community before they launched book. I mentioned to you, I've written eight books. I, I write one every six months, but I've only launched four 
because I have one book called Don't Do Business with Dicks that I just don't have a big enough community for. I need millions and millions of people in my community, not one or two million of people that will will buy a book like that. And it it's timeless. It's, you know, green, completely green in its you know way that it's written. Uh, but it is a powerful book that I'm waiting for my community to be big enough. How do you communicate that side about, hey, look, you, I, I'll do this perfect. I'll do the financing, distribution, marketing, website development, art, public relations, all of these things, audiobook, editing, copywriting. But if you don't have a community, you know, there's going to be nothing. Do you have a difficult time explaining that uh, to people with book writing? Yeah, a, a little bit. And that's where the first time book author you know, needs a little bit of coaching in this area. We need to build that platform. And we specifically focus on how are you going to do that? How are you going to build your credibility? Here are the marketing and PR people that we've used. Here's their success in the past. Here's specific case studies on exactly what they have done. But they need to go into it knowing that this is a long-term platform to build just just like what you're saying and that starts before if if you don't have that in mind it, it's you're going out and you're trying to say yes i'm going to be just the catch of the day in one of 40 million books and it doesn't happen you're you're down the list yeah yeah D dave great question and it's something that i understood too right from the beginning when i launched my personal brand and so forth and so, Tim, I wanted to ask you, because obviously it's never apples to apples. Everyone that comes to you that has a manuscript that wants to write a book, uh, I, I imagine you suggest something different. For someone that doesn't have a big community, uh, like Dave was just attesting to and so forth, is that someone that you would suggest working with a major publishing house? No, no, not at all. The major publishing houses, from our perspective, they're going to go not – yeah, content's going to have to be good. They have great editors but they're going to go on who gets the platform of the folks who have contacted us. They've gone through our assessment. They've got what we had, you know, they had platforms already to build and, and that's hard. I think it's, it's, it's a hard mindset too, because a lot of the people who are great writers aren't great speakers. You know, it's really hard to have both of them. And you, you've got to understand, like you're saying that you've got to work on both those from the very beginning. Yeah. Dave, you the total package. Yeah, see, that's that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's there. See, hey man, I think I'm I think I'm gonna give it a try. So I'm gonna use Izzard Inc. for uh, one of my books. I'm gonna pick one here. Uh, maybe I wrote a book called Reconciliation. I think which is a good fit for this, which is reconciling time uh, into all aspects, including gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and uh, reconciling time into the quantum, uh, a, a quantifiable time, man-made constructive time. So uh, may it's a, a high vibrating book, so it may need a little bit of uh, interpretation and help with the Meltzerisms that I create. But uh, I am so glad there's someone in the space that has integrity, uh, that understands all the facets of publishing and is willing to manage the egos of especially the first-time authors who uh, think they're going to be, you know, in Napoleon Hill, their very first book, or a Wayne Dyer, uh, that all of a sudden this is, or Bob Proctor right out of the box. Um, but anyway, Tim McConaughey, he's almost as big as Matthew McConaughey. What a great guest he is here. He's definitely more handsome, wouldn't you say so, Craig? 100% without a shot. Tim, yeah, we appreciate really. you. Keep up the great work. Keep hey, it thank up. Thank you. Appreciate we'll reach it. out to you. We'll send a lot of business your way. It's good to know you're Absolutely. here. Absolutely. You both are really great. Thank you. Thanks, thank you, my friend. Take care.
All right. I'm going to try not to have a chip on my shoulder, but we got another Stanford graduate coming on and uh, Dr. Mitra Ray. And if she's wondering why I have a chip on my shoulder, Craig, as you know, uh, that school was my first choice for undergrad, which I probably didn't deserve to get in there for undergrad. And they rejected me, but I definitely had all the marks in, in the, the extracurriculars to get in there for law school. And somehow they passed me by. So uh, I will tell you, Dr that uh, I get back with them almost every year by teaching there or speaking there and then making sure that I somewhere mentioned the fact that they rejected me twice and now they bring me in to teach everyone else. So you are an educator yourself. You understand not everybody can appreciate our intellect until we perform. Uh, and you have created programs to help everybody perform by rewiring what we have control of, our mindset and how it's directly related to our heart set and our hand set, the activities we have. And uh, one of the foundational principles that you teach through that great education as a biochemist, the speaker and educator uh, is the importance of whole plant foods uh, and how that complements all the other things that people are working on today. Um, how did you come across the importance of plant-based uh, nutrition with clarity and active lifestyle and all the traditional things that people utilize uh, when we're trying to rewire our brain that somehow eating plants is better for us than uh, meat or fish? Thank you, David. What a great introduction. Um, yeah, well, first of all, I just want you to know Berkeley, right? I, I have a chip on my shoulder about Berkeley because they rejected me when Stanford said yes. So, and my brother went to Berkeley. So there you go. I just my two that. younger brothers got into Stanford and turned it down just to like double one up me. <laughs> so they went to Harvard and Penn instead and also got into Berkeley. So I just don't even like them anymore. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So I, it was really the messenger, um, you know, uh, I was speaking at a conference and Professor T. Colin Campbell, uh, the author of the China study and whole, whole, whole is his second book um, and the author of the largest epidemiological study on human diet on the planet, uh, you know, over 30 decades of NIH funded research that he did um, he came to hear me speak and I was so humbled. And embarrassingly enough, I had not read the China study and there he was <laughs> in the audience. And then he met me backstage and the man is so humble. And within five minutes, you know, when you're in academia, you know a real researcher when you see one, you know a, a giant in the field when you meet one. I just said, okay, you know, I, I asked a few questions. He, he convinced me in literally five minutes to at least give it a go. And I was going to hit the road for a speaking tour. So I decided to go plant-based for at least 30 days while on the road, never knowing, not knowing exactly how I was going to carry through. Um, and then, of course, I read the book. I hadn't taken a highlighter to a book since my college days. And there I was, like, highlighting. And he was so humble. He answered every question. Um, since then, there's been so much more research. And of course, it, it really helped me because I wrote a book prior to that where I didn't have all the answers. And I was just guessing based on what doctors were doing and whatnot. But I wasn't even convinced myself. But I just published the book anyway. I had to actually retract that book after reading the China study and becoming convinced that the science, and, and that was just one aspect. And then since then I, I've discovered other 
aspects of how plant-based diets help us. Um, he was really focused on cancer research, and there's been so much research on, you know, heart disease, diabetes, Neil Bernard, you know, all these, all these famous authors. Um, and the more I started to listen to them, and then I actually did a retreat at True North in Santa Rosa, California, where the education was tremendous, just just dove in and realized between the science and how I felt it all just, it's just like the pieces of the puzzle finally came together. It answered all my questions. And I realized this is, you know, I don't like to tell people what to do, but scientifically what's accurate is that plants can give us everything we need. Whereas everything else that we eat, processed food. Now there's a lot of vegan junk food out there too. I am not a proponent yeah. of, you know, ve oh, kale chips and kale has been turned into like puffy things that crunch and come in plastic bags. That's not what I mean by plant-based diet. I mean, whole food plant-based diet. That is the, the more we can lean in that direction. Um, of course, Michael Pollan's done a great job with his famous quote, you know, eat, you know, eat, uh, now I'm like forgetting the exact quote, but it's about not eating too much and focus mostly on plants. Right. And yeah. so, yeah. I like a lot that. Of research. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. This is gripping stuff. And a, a lot of people now are, are making the switch, even professional athletes, which, which I find very fascinating. Yeah. I wanted to ask you when you were on the road and you decided to kind of dive in, uh, what were the biggest changes that you noticed both physically and for mental clarity as well? Well, one of the things I noticed is that if I ate processed plant, like spaghetti, let's say, that was not, that made me, that didn't work for me, basically. I had to literally focus on, and back then, this was in 2007, I, I know the year I went plant-based, um, back then, it was not that easy to eat plant-based, and so... It was, it was very difficult. And I was eating a lot of boring food, a lot of salad, basically, you know, and today we have a lot more plant-based cuisines and Options. almost any restaurant you go to, even if it's not on the menu, you can either challenge the chef to make you something plant-based. <laughs> that's what I like to do. If they I don't like have something or at least ask them. And sometimes they always have, like I've been to seafood restaurant, top end seafood restaurants. It's not on the menu, but they've got something really delicious up their sleeve if you ask for a plant-based meal. Yeah. Yeah, they're almost excited to be creative. But, right. But to answer your question about clarity, is that like the afternoon, you know, in the afternoon is when your brain is more create is more ready for creative activity, but you can kind of miss that window of opportunity to to have your most creative thoughts if you're eating the wrong foods and you feel like you need a cup of coffee in the afternoon or a nap. And that is where I felt the biggest difference is that my energy sustained, like the mornings are really good for the brain to focus on detail work, accounting, you know, things you don't want to do. Um, all the detail oriented stuff, learning is great in the morning, but afternoons are about creativity. That's when your creative juices flow. So that's what I found is that I had more creative juices in the afternoon. Real quickly, Dave, before you hop in, is, is that for everybody or is that a case by case where in the afternoon you have those like creative divine downloads? Oh, that's for everybody. That's just the human brain. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I say that, but you know, when we talk about the human brain, we're talking about a cocktail of neurotransmitters and hormones. And if you do things right, I, um, 
one of the podcasts, um, Huber, the Huberman podcast touches on this quite a bit. Uh, he gets a little bit detailed for the average individual, I think. But nonetheless, um, there's a lot of research showing that, you know, if you follow, especially the, your circadian rhythm, get up and see the sun, start the day right with little sunlight hitting your eyes, that kind of gets all your hormones and neurotransmitters kind of lined up to be secreting at the right time. And in the afternoon, we're making a little more serotonin um, and that and other acetylcholine and things like that. These are the neurotransmitters that the particular cocktail that should be swimming around in our brain when we're doing things right is heightened for creativity in the afternoon for everyone. Look how jazzed she gets. She loves this stuff. I love it. <laughs> I'm say, well, it's a perfect lead into the two questions that I have. And I'm going to start with one. If, if that's true, then is meditation better in the afternoon or first thing in the morning? Meditation is a different Meditation is a word that means so much, first of all. There's so many different kinds of meditations. And I think meditation is good any time of the day because it just slows you down. And the brain has a chance to recover because we have something. Um, Scientific American just published an article about how we need downtime. We need our brain to not do stuff, you know, in order to be creative. Like boredom to me is the cauldron of creativity. It's creativity comes from boredom. And that's why children should be bored. You know? I thought that I thought it was the devil's workshop. I my grandma was wrong. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So meditation just allows you to hit the pause button on your life. And whether yeah, it's a guided I, meditation or breath work or whatever you choose to do, it, it helps. And I've been studying meditation for 16 years from quantum healing and Theta meditation and a variety of guided meditations. And I, I've tried to simplify it for so many people because I was so resistant to it as a sports agent, a corporate lawyer, and you know, very uptight and intense about being in control of my own life. And I've broken it down to the practice number one of sitting still. That That's would be your first practice. The next would be the practice of being quiet, uh, which, which you suggest, which is that recovery. But I also, after 16 years, uh, it's a practice of uh, accessing information for me and, and transcending uh, some subconscious and unconscious data that's been downloaded from the universe. Uh, but that's a personal one. Let me give you my second question because Craig touched on this and I thought he was going to steal my question, but thank goodness he didn't. Because um, him and I are so aligned. I'm just far, I'm so much taller than him. That's the only difference between us. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm like this much taller than he is. Um, but more importantly, than my extraordinary height uh, of 5'7". Um, is the genetic and energetic inheritance that we receive a as biochemical beings, as our you know embodiment, um, is it specific enough that, you know, I've been told that some people need meat, for example, that, you know, an energetic and genetic inheritance would you would put yourself at a detriment if you didn't have red meat, certain human beings, certain need fish. And I can see that shake of your head. Tell me why that's not true. Well, because first of all, they're higher up on the food chain. And if you were to, in fact, the China study has a great table on this. Like if you're looking at, if you're looking at protein, if you look at 500 calories worth of plant material versus animal material, whether it be beef, chicken, dairy, whatever, eggs, doesn't matter. 
if you if you compare protein, which is you know the biggest conversation people have, it's about the same calorie for calorie, plant-wise versus animal. It doesn't matter where the sources come. All living things have protein because life itself is regulated by enzymes and enzymes are proteins, you know, plus we have structural proteins and et cetera. So all, every living thing is full of protein, whether it's a plant or an animal. So the protein conversation is moot. Then you look at things like omega fats, okay? Plants make omega fats. Fish do not make omega fats. Plants, fish eat algae, and that's where they get the omega fats, okay? So, for instance, the entire omega industry, in my mind, the omega fat, the fish, fish oil industry, comes from, they used to throw away the, the innards and the scales of fish. Then they realized they could squeeze all the oil out of it and put it into capsules and sell it, right? And there's some questionable research done it, you know, like, it, 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 it's just so much marketing instead of actual valid science that fish oils are good for you. In fact, Fred Hutchinson did a study showing that men should really be careful about fish oils because you can increase your chances of prostate cancer by taking fish oils. However, plants have this whole spectrum of omegas, right? Animal products have nine times more fat and it's not omega fats. It's saturated fat that clogs up your arteries, Okay. So it doesn't matter whether it's eggs, fish, chicken, there's no such thing as lean meat. It's going to have way more saturated fat. That's not the good stuff. That's the heart clogging stuff. than the plant kingdom. Then you look at plant nutrients, the phytonutrients, the polyphenols, that, which is like the new buzzword in anti-aging. Entire 8,000 kind, different kinds of nutrients in the polyphenol family that have been known to slow down the aging process in our body. What's the source? Plants, okay? And if you look at the, the phytonutrients found in an animal, it's based on the plants that they eat, not something they make. So, plant, so animals aren't making anything that is vital to us. And at the same time, the most interesting part is all this new research with our gut bacteria, okay? And when we eat plants, there was a study that was published in Nature, which is like top, top journal in science, right? If you give people a 100% plant-based diet versus a 100% animal-based diet, the people with a 100% animal-based diet will house bacteria that will give you irritable bowel syndrome, okay? Will lead, which leads to cancers in the colon and things like that. So... There's so many ways to dissect this equation. As I said, I've looked, whether you look at the microbiota, whether you look at protein, whether you look at fat, whether you look at the micronutrients we need from our food, whether you look at, and, and our, our good bacteria in our gut, those guys are vegan. Whether you're vegan or not, those guys are vegan. So if you want to support, I, I tell people every time you eat, you have to think about because there's, there's, you know, 10 times more bacterial cells in us than human cells. Who are you feeding? What colonies are you feeding? Yeah. What colonies are you feeding? If you eat a plant-based diet, you're feeding the colonies that will live symbiotically and make wonderful nutrients like small chain fatty acids for you that protect your gut, like butyrate. You're not going to get that from the animal kingdom. So I, I, I don't know what you're going to get from animals that you can't get from plants. It's so interesting you say that because in a mindset side of things, I tell people all the time that 
uh, feed that which feeds you. Yes. And I think in the internal spectrum, you've described that uh, really well, that there's certain things we need to feed that as an organism that feeds us and not that bleeds us. And the majority of the people in the world feed that which bleeds them and they wonder why they're not where they want to be. Well, Dr. Mitra Ray, you make me feel good that I didn't get into Stanford because I'm not sure I could pass the curve with you. Uh, I'll hang out with Craig Siegel, whatever community college he went to. But uh, I'm just kidding, Craig. Your mom's going to get pissed. He has a Jewish mom, so she's probably super pissed that I just said that. <laughs> You're not wrong. I know my mom would be terrified. Anyway, come join us. And there's so much more I'd love to uh, understand and learn from you. Uh, people can find... Uh, Dr. Mitra Ray at drmitraray.com. Listen to her speeches. They're incredible. Let's learn about how to get more clarity, uh, be active and healthy, but we didn't even touch the longevity side of things. Besides looking young, you actually will live longer, but we'll get into that next time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Really great. Enjoyed my time here. Me too. Thanks. Have a great night. She'll sleep better too because she eats plants, by the way. We didn't even get, there's so much more to talk about in plant-based. I'm working with the first all natural plant-based energy drink um, and they're just killing it. It's the fastest growing drink in their category. It's not processed. It's actual whole plant foods um, that are making this drink uh, called Riot. So they're gonna create a riot disruption in the marketplace. Mr. Siegel, you did it again. You had an extraordinary uh, show here. Uh, as always, you know me. I want to know your takeaway for the day. Yeah, our chemistry is off the charts. I love you. You're looking super handsome. Uh, a lot of nuggets from today's guest. One thing that I thought was pretty fascinating is the first guest that we had, uh, Nikhil. You know, he says he's only been doing it for seven years. I guess in the grand scheme of things, that's not a long time in his line of work. But something that I thought was really cool is, you know, he's involved with that probable community, which is a community of all the leaders from the biggest companies, Google, Dropbox, GoDaddy, Facebook, like we said, and he's able to get knowledge, get wisdom, bounce ideas off them. And it basically speeds up the learning curve. And it's no different than the same mentality as uh, me connecting with you in the first place. And I just thought that was really cool and interesting and also relatable. Yeah. And I like my takeaway is about security protection. And at a high level, you know, I talk about all the mistakes, failures, and setbacks in life are protecting me and promoting me. Obviously, in the security business of Armor Code, all about protection. But in essence, Tim um, and Dr. Mitra Ray are protecting us as well. You know, I talked about, you know, the scrupulous uh, business of publishing uh, and obviously protecting us, uh, the most important thing, our health. Um this takeaway today was, look, we need to truly understand what feeds us. In other words, that protects and promotes us. And whether it's with our software, whether it's with our occupation and the amplification of our ideas through books and publishing and audiobooks, or just our true health, uh, my takeaway is to prioritize the protection and promotion of my mindset, heart set, and handset. That's why I hang out with you, Mr. Siegel, because they talk about feeding those that feed you. Uh, There's very few people in my life that feed me more than Craig Siegel, and he's a dear friend. Great compadre in the shows. we got to do more. I just super enjoy all all the fascinating things we learn together, but also the fun we have of making fun of each other. So although I'm way taller than you, you have my whole heart, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Love you so much. Thank you for the kind words, and looking forward to many, many more. 
You got it. Thank you for being available. The incredible Craig Siegel. Follow him. If you're not, you're making a big mistake. He has the CLS experience as well as the paradigm shift with me on Saturdays. We bring on some extraordinary guests. We are like peanut butter and jelly. He is uh, definitely the meat in my taco. He's the man. Thanks so much. That's plant-based meat, by the way. Why are you laughing, Matt? You dirty-minded little man. All right. Anyway, I want to tell everyone, if you're not laughing now, you should be. Be kind to your future self. Be more interested than interesting and do good deeds. I promise you, uh, you will be happy. Make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. David at dmeltzer.com. Join us tomorrow. Thanks so much. We got training at 7 a.m. Pacific time. How to take advantage of the recession training, 7 a.m. Pacific time. Join me again right here. Thanks so much. Have a great night. Take care. Thank you, Manny.